0: Episode 100 of Frank Reactions, the podcast where we help you profit from the digital era through better customer experiences online and off. My name is Tema Frank. Now, it's traditional to do something special for the 100th episode of a podcast. So I thought about various things and finally I decided I would celebrate by bringing you some voices from a part of the world that I've never had on the podcast before. That part of the world being South Africa. As you may know, I recently went to Cape Town, South Africa to speak at the Seamless Africa conference on e-commerce and payments technologies. And it was my first time in Africa. And you know, you hear about crime and stuff, and I was a little bit nervous, but I had the most amazing time. The people I met were all wonderful. The country is spectacularly beautiful. I had such a great time both at the conference where ironically, the only other Canadian attending was someone And this is hard to believe because we live in completely different parts of the country and haven't seen each other for over 30 years. But it was a guy that I had worked with in my first permanent job at the Canadian Bankers Association. So it was kind of cool to reconnect with him. What are the odds that we'd both end up speaking at the same conference? And I also really enjoyed the extra week that I spent touring around the area. If you're curious to learn more about Cape Town or just to see some of my travel pictures and videos, you can see some highlights from my trip at bit.ly forward slash TF Cape Town, all lowercase. So TF as in Tema Frank Cape Town. So has nothing to do with customer experience, but uh, there's some cool stuff in there. Now, while I was there, I recorded a few interviews for you. And I want to start with the one that was probably the most directly customer experience focused. Nomi Badlani is the client experience team lead at the investment management firm, Alan Gray. And what really impressed me when I went to Alan Gray's website was the stress on values and the fact that the founder and this company was founded in 1973, I think. And the founder has now handed control of the company to his foundation, where the profits are to be devoted exclusively to philanthropy. In his letter explaining the move, and and they've got a copy of the letter on the website, he commented that, quote, The perpetual nature of the foundation empowers the executives to focus entirely on doing what is in the best long-term interests of our clients, free from the short-term pressures that third-party ownership can bring. We've talked a fair bit on the show about how it can be particularly challenging for particularly publicly traded companies to take the longer-term view that is often required to bring about a genuine long-term improvement in customer experience. Nomi and I had a great conversation about how the values are used as guides for behavior in their company and as filters for decision-making, which is something that I wrote about under the first P in People Shock, that being the promise. So they're doing exactly what I was advocating there. So it's kind of nice to have an example where someone's put a similar concept into practice. Enjoy the interview. It's a little bit long. If need be, just pause and go back to it later. And I will chat with you briefly at the end of it
1: really responsible for uh, defining what client experience is because you know sometimes people don't don't know what that is and then measuring what success looks like for client experience and then implementing the sort of projects that might come out of there uh, in terms of what we believe is necessary to move client experience in the right direction. So before we
0: move further Mm. can you give me a little background on what the company is Mm. and its history? Yeah
1: so the company was started in 1973 by the man Alan Gray, mm-hmm. and um, his 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 philosophy was really around creating long term wealth for. Clients. Uh, back then, you only started with two clients. Those are still clients today, which is a <laughs> wow story. Okay. Um, and really, it was around the fundamentals around investing, um, what's called contrarian investing. Um, so, understanding uh, the true intrinsic value of, uh, of a company and, and buying it when you believe that that company is trading at um, lower than that value, and obviously selling over the long term when it's kind of realized and, yeah. and surpassed its value. And I think what's what's really been key to the success of the company is kind of operating very deliberately around the values that were established back then and which really haven't changed very much. So talk to me about the values yeah. because
0: uh, I come from a country, not to diss my fellow countrymen, but, you know, investment banking in the U.S. as well as Canada, but more so in the U.S., which I'm not from. I'm from Canada. Let's get that clear. <laughs> These days, that's very important to specify. But, you know, the investment... Industry does not have a great reputation when mm-hmm. it comes to values. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, how did this happen, and what are the values then that mm-hmm. you're working around? Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, the values that the the company operates from are the client focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, individually um, accountable, independent minded, um, performance driven, and then long term orientated, okay. and so absolutely everything revolves around this thing whether it's how we treat other people how we treat our employees how we treat the investments of our um, of our clients it all centers around these things so you'll find when um, you know one of the first things I noticed when I joined the company and I was going through my orientation was that we don't have very many sort of rules and policies and documents that guide how you do things because you um, Our philosophy is that if we employ, you know, really smart people who are independent minded, they can make their own decisions and use the values as a guideline. And so they're individually accountable to how they interpret the values and apply the values and they need to be able to kind of, you know, back up how they approach things based on the values.
0: That's so exciting to hear because in my book I talk about the, the three P's of profit, and the first yeah. one being promise, yeah. which is essentially the values. Yeah. And one of the points that I make repeatedly when I talk to people is, if you've got solid values in place, then you're right. You don't need huge policy yes. manuals. Yeah. If people get the values, then, mm. and I think you know some of the problems that we've seen mm. in the industry in North America mm. is because they were lacking strong mm. values. Mm. Or the values, one of the things that you mentioned in your values, one of them being long-term orientation, which a lot of investment firms, I think, don't have.
1: Yeah, exactly. What's the competitive landscape
0: like here in
1: South Africa? I'm not um, probably not the best person to talk about sort sure. of the industry and the technicalities, but a lot of those companies uh, will have shareholders. Um, so we, the largest privately um, owned one, and that's that's also quite important because it allows us to operate independently and to really put our clients' yeah. best interests at heart. Yes. Uh, and so we don't have shareholders to to report to. Uh, yeah. It's about well now we sort of. Part Partially owned by the foundation and then uh, the rest of the ownership sits with sort of employees and the share scheme. Okay. Uh, And so that's probably one of the important things that differentiates us from from that market. Um, And then there's also, there's quite a few Mm -hmm. big brands in the asset management space and we're one of those. Um, And I think um, there's half of them which operate more in the banking space. So it's kind of an extension of of banks. Mm -hmm. And then uh, much fewer that operate just in the sort of asset management space. And you mentioned
0: as we were walking into this room that you get about 500 people who literally just walk in off the street each month. Mm -hmm. That blows me away as a figure. Can you comment on what's driving that?
1: Yeah, so, sorry, so they're not necessarily um, only people that are uh, just random people walking in. So some are actual clients already that choose to come in as opposed to calling us. Right. So, I'd say about 15% of that might be sort of potential investors, people that are kind of in the process of opening investments. So, the rest of the people are really, they are Alan Gray investors who've come in to either open an additional account or, um, you know, ask questions about things that's happening in their statements. Um, And they prefer to come here because they they like to engage and talk to someone about the investment. Some people prefer that. And have they had staff who were dedicated to client experience mm-hmm. right along mm-hmm. or is that
0: fairly recent? Or
1: It is uh, fairly recent in the sense that... Um, the, the client experience team was formed about sort of six, seven years ago and it started with sort of one business analyst and when I joined two years ago, we still only had two business analysts mm-hmm. and now that's expanded to five business analysts wow. and, you know, we're adding more. But also, I think because our philosophy around client-focused is so key and core to us as a business, we have a lot of teams that actually do this thing called client experience. Right. So um, as much as we operate within the client servicing um Uh, function of the business we also have a huge administration component and these are people that also interact with clients and so it's very important for us as a team we work very closely with sort of um, stakeholders that sit within the administration business who understand like our core processes and how those impact client experience and so there's probably quite a few teams which are um, have as part of their mandate mm-hmm. client experience uh, because it's so core cool to, to to us as a business. Um, but I suppose the terminology client experience is probably something that would have happened in the last um, last seven years.
0: So as a client experience manager, what sorts of things do you do?
1: Okay, so, um, so this is a lot around understanding what client experience is uh, and understanding client Behavior okay. and I think the the hardest part about it is that we spend a lot of time trying to um, almost infer what we believe people want and make sure that we can we can deliver to them things that meet their needs. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the analytics is around understanding client needs, okay. um, and so we spend a lot of time listening to calls um, and understanding what is it clients are asking us for but also not just what they articulate but what is it are they actually needing and are we actually able to deliver that Mm -hmm. and so we spend a lot of time getting a sense of like what is it that client wants and then there's some things that are probably fairly obvious and we can we can we can interpret from our own data around where we believe clients are struggling so understanding things that take much more effort than they should be taking uh, and making sure we can reduce or eliminate those. Um, You know, our clients hopping channels, our clients following up on us for particular processes more than they should be. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, they should never have to follow up on us. (laughs) Um, And so we spend a lot of time diagnosing uh, points that... um, at least failure points in the in the experience, mm-hmm. um, and then we also what that translates into is um, actually delivering solutions around resolving some of those um, some of those failure points we might identify. So a fairly uh, the fairly obvious one for me is something like transacting. So, because our transactions are, um, you have to sort of buy and sell units, in essentially the market, it means that they not very, they don't happen very quickly. Yeah. And so, if you do a withdrawal from your investment, it's gonna take three to five days, depending on you know the product that you have, okay. and. Um, so it means that there's a there's a lot of waiting for clients and how we manage their expectations through that period mm-hmm. and giving them upfront information. It's not that people want it to happen quickly, sometimes they do, and in those instances, we can actually make it happen for them. Okay. Uh, but it's more around making sure that you manage people's expectations way upfront okay. so that they're not following up. Um, right. So that's the, one of the key projects we're working on is around how do you make sure that throughout the transactional journey, people have complete and a full view of what it is that's happening. Right. Um, it could translate to something like, a, a, you know, track and trace type functionality uh, when you have a parcel. It's yeah. it's kind of the same the same thinking. Or
0: I'm uh, even thinking, you know, having spent so much time on an airplane to get here, two airplanes, um, mm-hmm. if, if, if there are delays, let's say, mm-hmm. in an airplane, it drives customers crazy mm-hmm. if the airline doesn't explain what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I, I can totally see where that mm-hmm. would be a pain point yeah
1: something else that we're, uh, we're we're working on is being able to ensure that consultants who deliver the client experience are enabled to do that and so um, you know the CRM or the tools that you put in front of consultants while they're dealing with clients is very important right. you know our consultants have to navigate so much information and different yeah. screens and things, and they, they're almost having to keep the client engaged while they'll do that. And right. so one of our big focuses now is how do you enable the consultant to give a particular service? So for instance, one thing that's really important um, from a client experience perspective is that you should have context about a client and to a large extent, um, and for most of the time, you can probably infer or predict what they might be calling about. And so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and so our ability to do that means a consultant is much more prepared for the conversation. Yeah. But if they have to like navigate to see when was the last time you called and what right. was that call about or yeah. when was the last time you submitted a transaction and what was that transaction about and maybe you're calling about that. That takes a lot of sort of toing and froing, and it frustrates it frustrates consultants. Right. Um, so a big thing for us is building a front end that's intelligent okay. and allows consultants to be able to have really intelligent conversations with clients because they'll have right. context. Particularly as we expand our channel offering to a more omni-channel view. So currently our channels um, consist of. Um, calls, emails, walk-ins, uh, but we also have an online portal. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that information is not um, necessarily available as part of the interaction history oh, of a client a problem. <laughs> is a problem, right? Because yes. someone maybe, they could be online, The m- yes. like at the second of which they're speaking to you, they could be online. Yes. And consultants have to actually go and look to see if that's the case it's not like it's something that's Mm -hmm. that's obvious for them to see Mm -hmm. and so enabling consultants to service um, clients is is, is a very big focus for us okay Uh, and uh, we we have a a slightly probably different approach to the consultants we hire into our serving thing space so we don't hire people to be consultants forever. Okay. We actually hire so we hire graduates into our okay. client service center, and the idea is that they're they're there to add value for a sort of specific amount of time. So it varies from between like one to two years, but the average tenure is about a year and a half. And why so short? And and so what happens is that because we hire very sort of dynamic people with um, who have huge learning capability, it means that. After that time, they feel like they, you know, they've added all the value they can, okay. and also they've kind of reached, you know, they learning. Yeah, a plateau in their in their learning, and so it's time for them to move on. And so we we replace probably around. I don't know, at least in numbers, around 80% of the total number of people we have sitting on the floor every year. Wow, that's a lot. So it's huge. And and the really great story is that we we actually don't recruit consultants to be consultants within the servicing space, we recruit for the business. So 70% of that sort of churn goes into the business. Okay. And another 30% might leave because some people might come learn about investments and then move on to a different investment company, for example. So, in the business,
0: then what sorts of roles would they move into? Would they go into, yeah. yeah. So,
1: there's you could become a business analyst in the client experience team. Mm-hmm. Um, so, our business analysts have at least three of the business analysts in the team right now uh, were previously consultants. Okay. And so it means they have great context around, yes. like, our clients, yeah. what they need, what they ask about, what their challenges are. Um, and so that's that's one area. But th- we have a number of analytical teams within the business. Okay. So that's one stream. Uh, you can also go a lot more technical. So maybe into uh, product development and um Kind of looking at the the fund offering and the products that we open our clients. Right. Uh, that's one stream. You could move into the investment stream, um, mm-hmm. although the sort of proportion of people that do end up there is is quite limited. We we have an investment team of about twenty five people mm-hmm. and. What's your total staff no, size? Total staff size is a thousand. Okay. Around a thousand. Okay. So, as much as we are an investment business, <laughs> a lot of what we do day to day is actually around um, the administration and servicing around investments because you kind of put your money away, yeah. and in all that time, there's lots of things that actually happen to to give you peace of mind around this process that doesn't actually have much to do with you like what so for example because there's movements in in there might be movements in the value of your um in, in your, your funds, portfolio yeah of your portfolio a lot of people don't understand why that is and so they call us and say oh my gosh, my, yeah. <laughs> my investment value has declined in the right. last three months yeah. and so, a lot of our calls are around educating people around our investment philosophy, around mm-hmm. how you know, this particular fund, the objectives of it, allow you to to gain those returns over a three to five year horizon. And so there's there's hand holding around making sure people have peace of mind and trust the process, Mm -hmm. but also can look at sort of, step back, look at the long term and understand how our track record validates that we know what we're doing and you have to trust that. But also that, um, you know, you can't look at past returns and assume that's what's gonna happen in the future. And so there's a lot of education that happens a lot of our calls are around that particular thing okay. and then also I suppose uh, people are also calling around tax season for example there's specific benefits you get from putting more money into your retirement annuity and so there'll be calls around that so we we, we really believe that as a, as a servicing function within particularly within the CSC that we we want to focus more on your very high touch type uh, interaction. So the please tell me why is why is this happening to my to my capital? Or uh, what is the impact of, of Brexit yeah. on, my, <laughs> yeah. on my investment? And so it's it's things that need people. There's right. things that don't need people that people are asking us about. And those over time we believe that people will be able to to do online uh, we yeah. do have an online portal where you can get statements for example right. but our intermediaries so we, we service direct clients as well as intermedia- intermediaries mm-hmm. who act on behalf of clients right. and intermediaries for example they uh, one of the main drivers of interactions are statements which we absolutely know they can get from online but it's mm-hmm it's so much easier to call us and ask us for that and so you know one of the things that we have to figure out is well how do we make it easier yeah. for them to get this online or automatically send it to them yeah. so that they're not calling us about it right. so rather than call it migrating migrating to digital platforms around how do i make it easier for yes. them to do it in yeah. another way yeah. um and so we we believe that in the long term will become much more high touch in terms of interactions at the moment that's that's obviously not the case because there's, we, we still have a lot of low touch interactions what's what's the value of my investment i mean you can get that online but yeah. people people call us for that mm. which is um, interesting do you think that is a
0: question of a lot of your customer base just not being heavy computer internet mm-hmm. users.
1: Mm. I think it's 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 a combination of things. So in our intermediary business the the assistants that work with financial advisors span a wide range of sort of age groups if i could call that but they they're actually sitting at a computer all day Mm -hmm. and when we email them statements they're going to be looking at them on the computer and so some of it has got to do with them being comfortable and knowing that it's easier to call alan gray Mm -hmm. and um, kind of the trust that they have in us that we can do it much quicker than they can and go into the system so that's the one thing that's got it's just that it's easier and the, and the service is, is so great we well that's the it. challenge i
0: remember chatting with someone uh, last spring from american express and they've got the same thing mm. you know that people have become so accustomed to great service mm. when they call how do you gently yeah. get them to not call so much
1: yeah 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 absolutely but i mean we have a large proportion of our base never calls us. Over 80% of our people don't ever call us or email us. And that's, and that's great and that's yeah. fine. So there's people that are servicing um, online mm-hmm. um, and there are people that aren't even servicing online. They just, they've just just put their money away and, and off they go. But I suppose it's about finding um, what level of interaction a client needs and what's the best way for them to get it. Mm-hmm. And so I think people call us because it's, it's great service and it's easier for them to do it that way. Sometimes it's got to do with them not knowing that certain things can be done online. And that's just an education thing, but that doesn't seem to be a a significant proportion of of the issue. Um, And then some of it has to do, there's some things obviously that can't happen online. Um, And those are things that we really want them to call us about. And those are things that... um, in future we hope to be more intelligent about providing online for people that don't necessarily want to call us so when people want help while they're on the website and they're going through our, um, so when you start a new account, we find that there's different steps in the process at which people drop off yeah. and it's consistent with also where people call us mm-hmm. um, and so if we can provide assistance right there within that particular channel they don't have to call us for it right. um, and so we're looking for ways where at least we, we're not the cause of them calling us they service themselves in the way that they choose to service themselves from an efficiency perspective we need to make sure that you know interactions that can happen in the digital world do happen there and it's much more intuitive and simpler yeah, for people to, to do it. Right. Yeah.
0: How do you hire and or train
1: staff so that they
0: have the right kind of service mm. orientation? Mm.
1: The idea around client focus is, is like a thread that goes through everything. So in that first, um, there's sort of three days of orientation which everyone does in the company. You hear stories about, um, you know, how different people have, Done different things for clients whether it's consultants who drove out to Somerset West because there was a lady who couldn't didn't have a fax machine and she needed <laughs> to get something signed and right. then they drive back and so you hear stories about that which give you a sense of the fact that we really mean just, it we really mean it yeah, yeah. Uh, we really really mean it um, and then also for instance how we operate in the um, in our service recovery space which I'll tell you about in a moment but when we make decisions the question we always ask is what's right for the client it doesn't matter who made a mistake yeah. but like what is actually right for the client mm-hmm. and and so you hear stories like that from the beginning so that's the one thing and then the next one is uh you go into sort of three weeks of uh, product training so our product set is is not very complicated um it's very simple, which is one of the other big differentiators between us and some of the other right. um, um, asset managers, particularly those affiliated with the banks. You know, have upwards of 150 yeah. different funds, and we we have nine funds. Right, <laughs> so, makes it a little yeah. easier. So yeah. it's a lot simpler for clients. Yeah. Um, so you go into part training, and then you spend um, a significant amount of time in actually training how to access the system, how to do the different things that a client might ask you, and. The thing we focus on um, to make sure that people understand that it is all about the client is, um, number one, your performance as a consultant, the bulk of that is based on client feedback. Okay. Your measure your, your measure from a performance perspective is the bulk of that is actually based on feedback you get from um, from client surveys. Okay. So that's the one. Um, the next one is around. Um, so while you're in training, you you also get a, a an introduction into what we call a, a quality model. So it's how we internally assess. So clients can make an assessment, but we also have to make an assessment about how we believe you're doing in terms of quality of the intact of the quality of the service you right. you deliver to clients. So an example is things like these are things that you learn in training. So it may be where you don't, for instance, confirm the details of a client, which seems like quite a, a compliance-related issue. But you know the way that we would phrase is that if you don't confirm the details of the client, either you might send some, either you might give the information to the, the wrong person, person yes. <laughs> which is constitute breach, and that's there's implications for for the client. The client is not going to be happy about that, and also it means the client might not get what you're sending them right. if it's like because you're sending it to the wrong place. And yeah. so we always try to kind of, um, all the sort of checks and balances and things that we do, we always bring it back to how does this impact the client and how mm-hmm. does it impact the service you're giving to the client. Mm-hmm. And so that's very important. So the, tr- uh, the, the training itself is probably about three months in, like in, in okay. the system world and then you actually start interacting with clients in the sort of um, – sheltered fashion where you have you have um, um, facilitators that are with you the whole time right. and so by the time you kind of not necessarily on your own you're probably like four five months down the line okay. that you're actually on your own and you you you're dealing with clients. Okay.
0: How do you within your team decide where to set the priorities? Mm.
1: So I think this idea around being Uh, performance driven and independent minded but client focused at the same time means that we expect people to apply a lot of rigor to the decisions that we make and so they're driven by data around what we believe is the most important thing for the clients and so I think we always come back to the values and it's about how does this enable us to like make this better Mm -hmm. so I think that's been very important and I think even though we've We've probably lagged on things like our sort of how digitally enabled our our clients feel around their investments. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it has we're we're very we think very long and hard about the things that we we do. We don't necessarily launch a whole bunch of products very often and we spend a lot of time improving. Right, and I think um, from a, a technological space, that's meant that you know, if you're looking sort of outside in, you might think they're not very innovative. <laughs> Right. Okay. So there's a lot of things that people don't see, but you know we're working very hard to make sure that our, our processing continues to be faster and faster and more efficient. Mm-hmm. And that's required uh, technological input, right. which maybe the clients haven't felt, but it means that as a business, we've been able to scale and right. we can continue to service our clients. Right. And so I think that continuous focus around like long-term orientation, the client focus, but making sure people are individually accountable means that we feel that we... Get, we don't always get it right, but we have to get it right more often than we get it right. <laughs> <laughs> right. What are the
0: biggest challenges right. that you face in your work? Mm.
1: What makes it difficult? I think the the technology one has probably been the big theme in the last couple of years, mm. in the sense that because we've done a lot of sort of internal work around technology to enable. Mm efficiency and and things that potentially other people don't see Mm -hmm. it means from a kind experience perspective uh, we've felt that a lot of things are very urgent Um, Mm -hmm. so like being able to manage your expectations through a particular transactional process like for us that feels very urgent Mm -hmm. and now that we've in the business gone through a a process of um, ensuring that our sort of core systems are efficient and and, and able to do what they need to, it means we essentially, our IT capacity is looking at the new things where we're building on our online online tech. And so there's a lot of people that want a whole lot of different things to happen. And the big challenge is around making sure that we get the most important thing done when there's a lot of really smart people who, are very, <laughs> who have very solid arguments around what that right thing really is. So how do you decide? How do you decide? Sure. So <laughs> you make a good case. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, I think you make a good case. But also because we're We have different teams that that essentially are working on things that have an impact on clients and have an impact on the client experience. And as long as we continue to talk to each other Mm -hmm. and together can come to an agreement on what's next, what's the roadmap, what do we do, Mm -hmm. um, I think that's important. That's something we've been focused on on and doing a lot more deliberately. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that we're learning to do, which is we're finding not difficult but maybe uncomfortable is to kind of test and learn and put out a, a minimum viable product because we like okay. to think long and hard right. but um, what we're learning with um, the, the the tech space and the digital space is that you kind of need to be very open to Put out a minimum viable product that's you know that that's the best you can do, but also be willing to learn and improve on that. Right. And um, our website is probably an example of um, we recently well, it's not recent anymore. I see <laughs> two years ago, yeah. um, towards the end of twenty fifteen, we we up updated our, our website and it was a huge thing. It looks completely different to what I mean. If you saw the old website, it was it was very sort of like static, right. very yes. sort of like Prehistoric, mm-hmm. um, And what we have now is sort of miles away. But, you know, our clients still trusted us even though we had this website that didn't look like the other websites they saw. And what we learned in that process was that um, it's important to be able to test and learn, yes. put up things and then improve them right. incrementally. So that's probably the second challenge. Uh, the third one is, I think we'll figure it out. It's just something that's occupying our minds is... This idea around predictive analytics. Okay. So we know what we want to do with it. Mm-hmm. We know why it's important. And we're kind of learning what it means for us and how we apply it. But it's probably a it's a, it's a sizable sort of challenge. Mm-hmm. And it involves... Like There's multiple teams who got loads and loads of data that we need to use somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know that, and it's we know that we're only accessing a very small proportion of it. So if I can give you an example, um, so we found that clients who kind of switch between different funds depending on the performance of different funds, which they see in the short term, don't do as well as clients who just leave their money and don't try and, and play around because that's our job. That's why we have right. best, um, yeah. portfolio managers. And so one of the things we'd really like to do is kind of, number one, understand what do people do before they switch? Because typically they'll look at okay. their statements, they'll log in online, they might right. be logging in every A day, yeah. and then when the performance is dipping, like what are some of those things that we can identify Cheers. so that we Make sure that we can educate them before it happens. Nice. Um, so that's an example. Yeah. Another one might be uh, withdrawal. So it's obviously you might need money for emergencies and things, but obviously people shouldn't be using this as a um, bank account. <laughs> bank account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we had some way of um, understanding what keeps people invested. Mm-hmm. Because that is essentially what we want. The longer we can keep invested, the, the the greater the wealth we can generate for you. And so we need to figure out like what kind of education, what is the most appropriate because People need to make their own decisions. What is the most appropriate um, level of intervention to make sure that people stay invested right. and think twice before just making that withdrawal because they have another emergency? You know, Could they get that money? Because it essentially hurts their, their long-term objectives when they do that. Interesting. Is there anything I should have asked you and I haven't? I think the one thing that's um, not... Not obvious, but I think I've, I've alluded to is that we're, as much as we have the client experience team, we also have sort of a digital team that's also looking at client experience and um, what is it clients need in sort of the online and digital channels. Right, And um, we also have teams in product development that are thinking what products do clients right. need. And so this idea of client experience, for me, it's very much like, when sustainable development was a thing. And, you know, everyone was kind of... They were, like, sustainable development departments and sustainability was kind of a, You know, there was a person and right. they measured it. And and then for some companies evolved to a point where it just became part of business. Right. And it wasn't, like, a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so it feels like in the world and in industry currently, client experience is a thing. Yes. And <laughs> I think we we've evolved I think as a company because we've been client focused for so long, yeah. it isn't actually a thing. We just right. we probably the only team that's called client experience, but there's a lot of teams doing this thinking. So how do you coordinate it? So you make sure you talk to a lot of okay. <laughs> talk to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and we so for instance we recently launched a new Product. We we're about to launch a new product. We're piloting it with um, a particular company called an umbrella fund, mm-hmm. um, which essentially allows uh, companies to have a pension fund for their employees. Okay. And so there's a product team mm-hmm. that obviously does the technicalities around the product, the objectives, what it's um, what it is intended to achieve for the employer and for the for the clients. Mm-hmm. But the team that implements that project is essentially a feature team comprised of people from all over the business right. and so we were involved in doing sort of like journey mapping the whole exercise from a client perspective what's the employee mm-hmm. going to hear mm-hmm. what are they going to worry about at this point what's the gap between the time they receive the information and the time that the money is taken off of the account mm-hmm. are they going to be what if the money gets taken off their account before they've even heard about this? What if they right. were there that day? Yeah. Yeah. And so we were looking at things like that. And then you had a whole different team looking at, you know, the the employee um, administrators and what their experience is. Will they be familiar with the tool? Do they have the right level of education? And so we it's it's completely collaborative. And even where people might not be involved, they're certainly informed. So that if there's you know if there's something that somebody thinks about you know there's, it's open forum for people to come up right. and, and kind of provide input so the implementation of projects is very collaborative That's nice. I think it's more in the deciding what to do um, is where the prioritization and the um, the the what I mentioned the challenge around you know what gets implemented next by IT. Right. Yes. <laughs> so those same parties are the people that then have to come together and right. also agree that okay this is the next thing right. my thing is gonna is going to wait. <laughs> right. Uh, which is in itself an interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, IT's usually that bottleneck. Everyone <laughs> wants them. Yeah. So this idea of feature teams is what we call them where you actually pull people from different uh, different IT teams, different business stakeholders, and you have representation from across the board when you do when yeah. you are implementing something. Right. And even when you start thinking about it, you pull in those people. So that's something we've we've actually done that really well over the last two, nice. two to three years. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Why do you think more companies
0: don't get this? Mm.
1: I I think a lot of companies get distracted by what's happening outside and get distracted by what they think is going to make sales as opposed to saying, what is the reason we exist? Yeah so we exist to do something particular about our clients and then also what's most important to those clients Mm -hmm. and that's quite external to what other people are doing and uh, at least separate to what other people are doing and I think maybe companies don't invest enough time in doing that and then trusting that if you get that right Mm -hmm. it will happen in the long term and so you know you might if there's an app for instance it was like oh we want an app and off they go to build an app and right. and it's like well do your clients need an app? Right, exactly. <laughs> and I think the digital um, sort of technological pace of the world has distracted a lot of people I, I came from a bank and I was gonna ask what you're yeah, about, and, yeah and and banks 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 have a lot of fundamentals that are wrong so there's a lot of basics around service like get back to people <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> when you say you will. Right. Number one. Yeah. Number two, um, do not um, don't make people do extra work. So there's a lot of hygiene factors which yeah. haven't been fixed right. that people know are wrong. They just haven't been fixed because we've been distracted by sort of gimmicky and superficial and really cool things happening yeah. out there. Right. And I think that's part of what's happened in the South African market at least. The banks, I think, have... Have had a huge problem with that. With mm-hmm. the basic things aren't right, like if you make a call, having to wait like yeah. twenty minutes. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, whereas that's that's one of the things that we got right a long time ago. You know, yeah. within twenty seconds we'll answer <laughs> your call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's around getting the basics right and then building building on top of that. And I think there's a lot of companies who haven't done that.
0: Hmm. Sounds like you were very lucky to be working in this
1: organization. (laughs) (laughs) I feel very lucky. Yeah, that's great. I feel very lucky. I think I remember the first, when I first arrived, um, I remember having a panicked moment with my boss. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't actually know why you've hired me. (laughs) Everything (laughs) Looks good. So it's like, you know, the 80% is right, but it means there's, there's a huge amount of opportunity to kind of, take it to the next level, which is always exciting. And the
0: organization clearly believes that it's mm. worth investing in that next 20%. Yes. Because yeah. a lot of them don't. They yeah. figure, well, mm. people will put up with some inconvenience and we can just keep doing yeah. what we're doing.
1: No, not
0: true. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for your time. Thank I you. I really appreciate it. No, it's an absolute pleasure. <laughs>
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed meeting Nomi and doing the interview. And rather than summarizing what was in it, I mean, if you've made it to this point, you've heard it and can always listen to it again. And of course, as you may or may not realize, if you generally listen to this rather than reading our blog postings, you can actually download the full transcript of it at the Frank Reactions website. It usually takes a day or so after I get the episode up before the transcript is available. So keep your eyes out for that. And the URL for that will be frankreactions.com forward slash 100 in numbers. Before I head off, just a couple of reminders. The B2B online conference is happening May 8th to 10th in Chicago. And I've negotiated an offer code for Frank Reactions fans. So you get a 25% discount on that if you use the offer code B2B 17TF. So B2B 17TF. Also, if you go there now, they're offering a chance to win a $200 gift card just for asking for more information. So, really, what have you got to lose other than a few moments of your time, which I realize is pretty valuable. Anyway, uh, you can find that just by searching B2B online. Or go to b2bmarketing, and that's the number 2, .wbresearch.com. And the other conference coming up that I'm really excited about is the CXPA Insight Exchange. And if you're not familiar with the CXPA, it's the Customer Experience Professionals Association. And the Insight Exchange is the annual conference It's happening May 16th and 17th in Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm really excited because one of my favorite customer experience books was The Effortless Experience written by Matthew Dixon, and he's going to be the keynote speaker at that event. What I also really love about that conference is... It's just a really friendly group of people. It's easy to meet people and hear about what's really going on in their organizations. It's all got a really practical focus of ideas of things that will work in companies of any size. So uh, why don't you go check that one out as well? Just Google the CXPA Insight Exchange. And I really hope that I'll see you there. In the meantime, if you've got any feedback for me, please, as always, do reach out. Tema, T-E, Amazon Marketing A, at frankreactions.com, or simply at Tema Frank on Twitter. There's also a Frank Reactions Facebook page, website, and you can find me easily on LinkedIn. Have a wonderful couple of weeks, and I will be back again with more of the interviews that I did in South Africa, and I hope you will enjoy them. Bye.